I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Ireland's Birth Stories, a podcast created for women to share their experiences with pregnancy and birth. My name is Cora Gernon and I've created this space to enable women to share their experiences from start to finish without feeling shy about the detail. If you would like to show your support for the podcast, you can do so by visiting my website where you can click on the donation button to make a once-off contribution towards the podcast. Or you can go to my Patreon page where you can gain early access to the episodes every Friday um, by signing up to Tier 2. So thank you to everyone who supported me this week. I really appreciate it. So before we go into this episode, I do want to mention that Nicola speaks about loss. So she suffered a miscarriage and also a late miscarriage. So this episode might not be suitable for everyone at the moment. So in this week's episode, I chat to Nicola and she talks me through the births of her little boy, Ted, and also her daughter, Anna, who was born sleeping at 23 weeks gestation. So Nicola chats us through her fertility struggles. So she went through IVF, but unfortunately after her first round, she had an early pregnancy loss. They decided to go for round two and then Ted came along nine months later via C-section. She did suffer an incredible amount of grief in between. So at 30, when Nicola was 38 weeks pregnant with Ted, her sister died suddenly. So Nicola shares what life was like dealing with grief uh, so close to giving birth to her first child. And also those postpartum days where you, you plan for this really happy, probably difficult period. You know, being a first time parent can be difficult, is difficult. Um. But with grief thrown in, it was an incredibly tough time. She then talks us through her third pregnancy. So Nicola fell pregnant with baby number three. When Ted was seven months old and it was a spontaneous pregnancy. So they this is everything they had wanted um, for such a long time. So it was a really joyous occasion. Unfortunately, at 23 weeks gestation, Nicola's little girl, Anna, was born sleeping. Nicola shares with us the moment everything changed and also Anna's birth. So this is part one of a two-part story. So I really wanted to keep as much as I could into Nicola's story. And we spoke for about three hours, actually. So there's there was a lot there and I wanted to make sure I kept it for you to hear. So I will leave you with this week's episode and I will make sure to tag Nicola because she said that she's more than happy for anyone to contact her um, who went through a similar experience. I'll chat to you next week. So Nicola, you're very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. 
if you. you want to just begin by giving us a little introduction to you and your family. Yeah, so um, I'm Nicola. Um, I'm married to James. He got married in 2016, so we're just coming up on five years married at the end of this month. And uh, we have two children, Ted, who is two and a half, and Evie, who just turned five months. Lovely. So do you want to tell us about your first pregnancy? Was that planned? Yeah, so um, probably pretty soon after we got married, we decided that we would start to try um and we were going on honeymoon about three months after we got married so we said we'd wait until we were kind of coming home and um or until we were home and I remember like on the plane home having that conversation again of like okay you know we're gonna do this are we ready and um my mum had five children James's mum has three children and none of my sisters had trouble conceiving so I didn't think that I would have any issues and when I wasn't pregnant on like month one month two I was kind of already impatient and and it was probably around six or seven months into trying that I first went to the GP just to kind of look for like maybe just get some blood stone just see if everything was as it should be and um I was sort of, you know, told, like, I was kind of laughed at a little bit, like, I was 33 and healthy, and in their eyes, you know, I just hadn't given it enough time, Um, but they did bloods and everything was fine, Um, and the GP said, look, if you really want, we can repeat them in a couple of months, and maybe, you know, your husband could do a sperm sample, so that was fine, we went off, um, continued to try no you know nothing happened I bet that's kind of when I started to buy some ovulation kits mm-hmm. and really you know focus on was I you know was I doing all the right things which I think we were um so a couple of months later we went back I did more bloods James did a sperm sample and that was all relatively you know normal and I think that they mentioned morphology as being a bit of an issue which is like the shape of the sperm Um, uh, but it was kind of you know no real red flags so she we were sort of told to go and try harder you know and um, then I think it was about we were trying nearly we were trying sort of at the year mark when we first went to a fertility clinic and um, again you know, no real massive problems identified. They queried whether I might have endometriosis, though, and they wanted to do a lap and die to see if that was a, um, causing an issue. And um, at this stage, I would say I was stressed mm. 100%. I was, you know, feeling the effects of all of these months of trying and negative tests and getting my period each month and you know James works away quite a bit and he'd be abroad and it'd be the invariably it'd be the day I was ovulating and that would just cause you know a fight and just high stress levels I would say but the fertility clinic were very reassuring in that you know they did scans on me then and um, they did another sample from James and again you know they couldn't really identify any issues. Um, and we gave it another, I'd say, five months by ourselves. And eventually then we, we switched to a different clinic. Um, and as soon as I kind of walked into that other clinic, I got like a much better vibe. I was like, 
and as soon as I met the doctor I just felt like okay they were going to solve my problem Mm. um and they placed a bigger emphasis on the morphology issue so we were recommended that we go straight into IVF and um they we did I had the lap and die that turned up nothing and so we had the uh we had the IVF or started the the process into the IVF and it was all kind of it all happened quite quickly when the ball started rolling and um, we were I'd say we had been we had only really had one appointment by the time you know we were kind of settled on okay we're gonna we're gonna go ahead with it um so that was the I think it was around it was August time we started um and I would say that like the IVF I know for some people it takes you know there's massive adjustments to medication or there's you know rounds and rounds like for us it was pretty uneventful in that I took the medication I responded well I produced the eggs you know we had fertilized blastocysts at the end of it which was just it was it was quite seamless um and I remember on egg collection day they rang me to say I think that there was 10 mature eggs and we had they had recommended for us um ICSI is what it's called which is basically they hand select the sperm and they inject them into the mature egg um and I think it's it's kind of necessary when you have a morphology Mm. issue because they want to make sure that they're getting the best sample um so at the end of day one I think we had nine fertilized uh fertilized embryos so um, and I remember like just I had such a good feeling I was like one of my babies in there mm-hmm. like this you know we're done like amazing and um, on day five or they kind of they ring you every day basically to give you an update and um, they would say you know you have now or there's there's seven of them now it was sort of like a horse race you know (laughs) at every at every turn there was people dropping off but um got to day four and they rang me to say we have five blastocysts which is like that's brilliant Nicolai you know um they were really hopeful and that we would have a good one to transfer the next day so transfer went really well and um I remember the embryologist came in to meet us and she was like that's the nicest looking blastocyst I've seen in a while <laughs> and um, they so they kind of grade the blastocyst on um two sort of structures one which will become the baby and one which will become the placenta there's kind of two defined sections in it at that stage and a one is the highest grade and our blastocyst was a one one so it was you know we were clapping ourselves on the back and happy off so I remember being given the test and you know the embryologist saying you know take that in 14 days time or something and I was like if I last four days I'll be doing well but um as part of the protocol I've taken a, a trigger shot to mature the eggs and it has HCG in it so you can cut you can get a false positive if you take a test okay. too soon basically so so we didn't, and anyway, I waited. I think I think I was day six, which is like being eleven days post ovulation, basically. Right. Um, because you're five di- the five days you add the five days in where be- between egg collection and um and transfer. 
so it was positive I remember just like oh my god I think James was playing golf and he came home and he just took one look at me he's like you did a test didn't you <laughs> it's like yeah it was written all over my face and I'd had kind of some good signs that you know that it was that it was positive in that I had lots of cramping and no, sorry that was the only sign <laughs> um but so the fertility clinic did a first did, did the first scan um and I think it was about seven seven and a half weeks and I remember going to the scan I remember thinking to myself you know gosh this might not be good news and it was the first time that had actually crossed my mind I was so naive when I think back now and I remember saying it to James I remember saying like what if it's not positive you know if it's not good news and he was like what this hadn't entered his mind at all and it wasn't good news there was no heartbeat and um I think it had stopped growing at like maybe six and a half weeks so about a week previous so we were really upset of course we were you know it was it was devastating and um I had to wait a week in between scans to see if perhaps you know a heartbeat would develop but because we knew my dates were so accurate it was highly unlikely um and I remember I rang my obstetrician that I had booked in with to to to, to opt for a DNC so uh, I had that about probably maybe 10 days after that first scan um and yeah it was it was very sad, but I remember just being incredibly focused on the next transfer um, mm. and how I would get to that and what the what the fertility clinic needed from me in order to do that. You know, like mm. was it one period, was it two periods, was it a, a scan, was it, you know, what were the protocol? And and actually after I had the DNC, I developed an infection. So um I wasn't too bad like I just I just took oral antibiotics but I did end up back in the maternity hospital just for an afternoon um to have that monitored so a bit of an ordeal and I remember just feeling like oh god you know we've come all so far and I can't believe we didn't make it you know um but can I when, ask you yeah how this obviously consumes your whole life so this is what, nearly two years now well just shy of two years that you would have been going through this this is how, how do you look after yourself how do you try and shift the focus you know if yourself and James just want to have a conversation outside of this or how do you kind of continue life in any way normal yeah I think that we we probably didn't succeed at that very well um you know we did we did try and do things um like you know just going out for dinner or like I would be so kind of focused on you know the one of the recommendations from the fertility clinic for James was because he traveled so much that he got up and every hour that he would walk around be at the plane or he would get out of the car or he would do something and um so I remember you know one of the things that he wasn't allowed to do anymore <laughs> was cycle um, and it, he he would have done a bit of that or he would have done spinning in the gym. And I'm, so remember, we used to kind of, it was like, okay, how else can we occupy our weekend? So we went for a nice song walks or whatever. We used to talk quite a bit. Mm. I know that sounds really twee, but like we were, we were just, have always been good communicators with each other. Um, but 
I didn't really and I didn't really find the first round of IVF and even those 18 months coming up to it I didn't find that that stressful okay I the first time I went into that clinic I felt like I just handed someone my problem and they were going to fix it Mm -hmm. and I felt a huge weight off my shoulders and while it was it was very consuming you you do you kind of forget it quite quickly but coming up to the second transfer I was a mess I was incredibly stressed um I remember walking down Grafton Street and having what I now know was probably a mild panic attack um I was just I felt like I had all my eggs in this basket even though I didn't and I had more frosties as they call them in the freezer so this wasn't you know last chance saloon but um I that's coming up to that second transfer I did not cope well um, and I remember I went to my GP and I was like what's wrong with me and he was like you're incredibly stressed out you need to you need to relax so so I did and I remember I took about a week off work before the transfer and um I'd had like some complications like I remember when I first went back to the clinic for a blood test there was still some HCG in my system so we had to you know we had to postpone it and it felt like every month felt like a year it was just it felt agonizingly long in in between those periods and it was actually like I, I think I'd had the miscarriage in October and we did the next transfer in February so it wasn't long but to me that was it was torture and I don't think as a couple we have ever fought so much um because we were we were both so frustrated um and you kind of go through the motions at different times I think yeah but um that second transfer was you know I had I was by the time that I actually came around I was in a good headspace I'd done loads of yoga um, I had done some counselling and I was like, okay, you know, I'd done acupuncture as well. So I was really, I felt very calm going into that second transfer. And um, I think I didn't even wait the six days. I think I was like five days post-transfer when I tested <laughs> and it was positive and that is Ted. So yeah, that was, that was a, you know a really a really kind of uncertain time and I definitely was stressed coming up to that seven week scan that the clinic do but also I knew not that I knew but I felt things were good I felt pregnant whereas in hindsight maybe I hadn't felt pregnant the first time um so it was yeah it was um a, a really different experience actually um did you tell work that you were going through fertility treatment yeah so I did and um my boss was incredible and uh, he was very very understanding and kind about it and um I did feel a slight kind of pressure to have to then disclose whether it had worked or not um and but you know the people that needed to know probably in work knew and a couple of friends knew um and my close family knew like I had three sisters so they they all knew and so when it did when the first scan wasn't you know positive when I'd had the miscarriage it was 
kind of weird you're letting so many people down or you feel like you are and um the last thing that you want is for them to be sad but of course they are you know because you're sad um so that was challenging definitely but um so when I was when I was pregnant and you know when I'd had like my booking in scan then with Ted and I'd I'd had a panorama test and you know the like everyone the excitement in my family and James's family was palpable I would say (laughs) everyone was just so excited (laughs) to meet this this person um and yeah a pretty like you know I felt good um especially in those early days I I didn't have much nausea um or tiredness or I had a few headaches but like nothing nothing that you couldn't cope with um I opted to go privately and um, I had a very good like, kind of vibe of my consultant, you know, I really, really liked him and he had treated me for the, um, the miscarriage as well and that subsequent infection. So I kind of felt like he knew my history already, you know, um, and yeah, all kind of uneventful coming up to around 20 I think I was about 25 weeks, my blood pressure started to spike. And like nothing major, but there is heart disease and heart attacks in my family. And my sister had a heart attack when she was 30 um, and subsequently had triple bypass. So this was kind of a concern for him. So I was medicated, um, but it wasn't, it was kind of made clear to me this isn't preeclampsia. Um, this is just hypertension um gestational hypertension I think it was called um and so I did some kind of things to offset that like again pregnancy yoga um I did some gentle births all those really really helpful and I quite enjoyed his pregnancy you know like towards the end I think everyone gets a bit fed up and you're swollen and you're you know you're tired or whatever um but we were just so excited and then when I was 38 weeks pregnant with him we've been told that we you know we might be looking at induction or I was kind of now on the max dose of libitalol or um, uh, blood pressure medication that I could be on so we were kind of running out of road there and um, I remember feeling quite sick on those meds like just kind of really lethargic and like there was actual lead in my shoes like it was um it was I was exhausted um so yeah it's a possible induction I've been mentioned but I'd finished up work and I was 38 weeks pregnant lying in bed and um my husband turned to me and he said your sister's ringing me and I was like oh that's weird and he said do you think she's me she means to ring me I was like I don't know but answer it so he answered it and he got straight out of bed and he walked into the living room and I was like, you know, trying to get myself out of the bed. And, you know, that kind of voice or that sort of tone people take when there's bad news. And I remember just thinking like, oh my God, my mom is dead. But my, I remember just thinking, is my dad okay? And um, he's out like, well, sorry, he's, he's nearly 80 now. So he was, what, like 70 seven or 78 and um 
I walked out into the living room and James was just ashen like and I was like what's wrong and he said Alison who's my sister is dead and I was just it was just like floored just the like the grief was horrific it was really um it was so shocking she's 50 um no she wasn't sick you know it was she was dead in bed and it was it was just not what I wanted to be doing or not what I expected at 38 weeks pregnant to be planning a funeral and all of that stuff and it was just a really really the last couple of weeks of pregnancy were just a blur you know I barely I barely remember it it was just so shocking so what mode did you go into then like I'm sure you were obviously the grief mm-hmm. was just so raw and so there but then did, were you thinking oh no oh my god but I, I have to protect myself and my baby at the same time so yeah. how, how did you do with that I remember just I remember saying to James like ring up and tell him what's happened and he was he was like okay and he did in fairness I was on so much medication that I would that was what I was really worried about I was like this baby is going to feel all these the effect of this grief and just I was so scared for the baby um and I went in to see him and the next day and obviously you know I was like so can we do a c-section like tomorrow or something or you know at this stage the funeral had happened um and he was he was very reassuring he was like you know the absolute best place for your baby right now is exactly where it is so you know no we won't be doing anything and you know you just need to stay calm for yourself and um I got through it I don't know how because I in that moment I really missed alcohol (laughs) I just wanted to you know have a few glasses of wine or a bell bottle um but it was yeah it was it was incredibly difficult and but in some ways I feel so lucky because for everyone else who this you know this awful thing happened to like for my sister's family and for my own family like this was the worst day of their lives and and the best day of my life was just around the corner and it was such a strong like it was it was such a I don't know how to describe it it was such a weird feeling of this the depths of despair and yet I know the ultimate joy is just a matter of weeks away um and yeah that got me he I mean honestly Ted unbeknownst to him got me through that so much um and we when we eventually I was I think I was 40 plus six and there was no real sign of movement and at this stage blood pressure was kind of creeping back up and um I was absolutely done so it was recommended that I have an induction um and that I remember going in for that and just you know feeling like I remember one of the midwives said to me she said it's okay to be happy you know I know that something so awful has happened to you but it's okay to be happy in this moment and to and to put the grief aside for a little bit yeah were you, were you nervous about feeling that 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 joy nearly 
Yeah, I remember craving, I remember sort of craving the physical pain because it would be at least a bit different to the, you know, the the emotional pain. Um, now, I wasn't so crazy about the physical pain a couple of hours in. Um, but, yeah, that I, I was sort of just sustained by the fact that I had this job to do. And um, I was busy, you know, like I was, I was so busy in the weeks, in the in those like weeks between sort of burying Alison and and having Ted, and um, uh, so yeah, so I went in for the induction and I had I remember they checked me and like cervix was high and hard, so like I couldn't be less favorable, um, and they gave me first gel to kind of start things going and had some mild pains, some sort of mild contractions, but like nothing that you'd even really write home about. I remember like all set up like TENS machine and, you know, like I was ready to hit this hard and kind of nothing happened. Um, And the doctor came back at around, I think it was around five o'clock and he was like, "Um, okay, so we're going to do another gel. And I was like, okay, grand. And then things kicked off. kicked off in in terms of like I was I was contracting I was in and out of the shower it was just like the best place it was just so oh my god I spent the whole time in there then I think it was around it was around midnight I think and the midwives kind of said to James like nothing's gonna happen tonight so you should probably go and get some rest and I was like what <laughs> what do you mean nothing's gonna happen um I remember then they checked me and they were like yeah no I was like no what like no she's like yeah no centimeters and I was like what uh I found that really hard I was so impatient like I was just like I thought I I thought I was definitely having the baby that day like without doubt so I had a I remember I had like quite a bad night and at around 3 a.m I got some pethidine um and I fell asleep for about, honestly, only 45 minutes. And I woke up and pains are gone completely. Um, so the next day then, they came in, they checked me again. Yeah, nothing had happened. Cervix was a bit softer. Um, and they said, we're going to try one more gel. Um, and normally they wouldn't really. They, I think they kind, of, they kind of max out on two, but... They gave me the third gel and when I say nothing happened, it was like less than nothing. I didn't even have any niggles or pains. And the whole time my family were texting me and they're all hanging on to this good news as well, you know? So they're like, you know, what's happening now? And I was like, still nothing. It's just nothing. nothing. I've eaten the whole menu. I'm a long-termer now (laughs) in unit three. I'm that episode of Rachel and Friends. Like, so, um, then they tried to break my waters and um that was a no-go and horrifically painful when there's no you know not favorable um but uh so around kind of four o'clock he said to me look he said this the option is kind of yours he said we can call this a failed induction and you can go home but i want to see you you know 
tomorrow or the next day like I'm probably going to want to see you every day basically or we can have a C-section and I was like yeah I'm not leaving here without my baby so like we're gonna have to do that C-section so it was actually very nice very pleasant it was Halloween night I remember hearing the like the fireworks and the banners going off as I lay in theatre and I remember saying to like what's that and um, someone said to me it's Halloween it was like it felt like I've been in there for months you know and um, and it was a really like peaceful and very, I felt like gentle cesarean in this, you know, I remember them saying to me before I was going in, it's going to feel like someone's doing the washing up in your stomach and um, you're going to be pulled and tugged and all the rest. And I, I kind of did, I guess, but my only complaint was that I think my blood pressure had dropped. And so I started to vomit um, midway through, but yeah, we didn't know he was a boy and that moment like it you know I really had that moment where they lifted him up where I was just like oh my god I can't believe that's my baby I love him so much <laughs> um so yeah it was amazing and um recovered quite well uh you know I think I stayed I don't I think I could have stayed four more nights after the section or maybe I did stay four nights after the section actually um and definitely it was more it was it was painful you know and I do remember like struggling to get in and out of the bed but um the midwives were incredible and I think there must have been I remember saying this to James like was there something on my chart that said like recent family bereavement or something or are they that nice to everyone <laughs> like but yeah, Ted was nine pounds four, so there was no real surprise that he wasn't uh, he wasn't too keen on making an entrance. Um, but yeah, great baby, just um, quite chilled. Uh, not sure he's quite the chilled toddler anymore, but um, struggled to feed him though, um, and had probably a late diagnosis of a tongue tie. So kind of combi fed him from the start, and then. Um, exclusively pumped for about three weeks and then just switched to bottles I was just I now when I look back on the weeks after he was born um I was I was I was quite all over the place like um I was you know I was Jekyll and Hyde I was happy one moment I was sad the next and I was sad about about I, I remember like being sad about Ted not having met Alison like this this secondary grief or something it was really strange and then knowing how happy she would have been and how you know it was a really it was a really strange couple of weeks and it took me it took me a while to find my feet and um I remember when I did that exclusive pumping for those three weeks they you know I remember James coming home one night and I was just like I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Dramas. I hadn't gotten dressed. You know, I was pumping, feeding, sterilizing, pumping, feeding, sterilizing. It was felt like I was, you know, I was getting no break. And I remember he said to me, like, do you want to just give that up? And I was like, how dare you? No, I am producing, you know, milk for my child. And about a week later, I was like, I wish it. Um, so, yeah, so um, I, I, he was, you know, yeah, so that was Ted. It was, it was uh, traumatic towards the end of that pregnancy, but it was so great to have this, you know, happy thing to have everyone hold on to. So will we move on to your next pregnancy? Yeah, so um, I think Ted was around four weeks, sorry, four months old when I first started talking about, okay, you know, when we go back to the fertility clinic for another transfer. Um, but ultimately, we decided that we'd probably do that towards the end of the year. So say Ted was born on Halloween and we were kind of thinking, you know, maybe towards the kind of December time that we'd start to think about going back. And um, I remember at my six week check, even uh, after I had Ted, you know, the obstetrician saying to me, so, you know, do you want to talk about contraception? I was like, no need, you know, knocked on that door before, nothing happened. Like I'm sure, you know, it would be grand. Um, and after I stopped feeding Ted, I had, um, I had horrific periods um, of like, basically like hemorrhaging each month. I remember the first period was incredibly bad and just thinking, okay, it's cause it's the first. And then the second period was even worse. Um, and like I was, you know, without being too graphic, but like sitting through like a maternity pad in like 20 minutes, half an hour. I was like, is this normal? Like, you know, and it was definitely my period. So after three of those periods, uh, I was so wiped. I remember feeling like just really physically drained. And I rang my obstetrician's office and he doesn't do any gynae work anymore. So 
he was like, I think you should go and see a gynecologist. And he referred me to one. So I had gone to see him and he said I had a fibroid that needed to be removed. So I was booked in to have a DNC and that all happened kind of quite quickly. And I'd say Ted was maybe, I think he was seven months. And the day of the, of the DNC surgery, um, I was in getting shellac off my nails. And I was texting my sister, I was like, oh, like, my, um, my period's actually late, which is amazing because now I won't have to have that horrific period. Um, and she said to me, well, you better do a test because they'll test you before they bring you to theatre. I was like, there's no way I'm pregnant. So she was like, well, you do a test anyway, you know. So I was in, went to Boots, I went to the baby changing and feeding area in, um, in Dundrum and did the tests. And I remember the, like the, the pregnancy line came up immediately before the control line. So I, I thought, oh, it's a faulty test. And then the control line started to gradually come up and I was like, oh God, I'm that pregnant. It's <laughs> like, what? I was so floored, such an incredible shock and amazing. I remember going to pick James up from work because he was obviously minding Ted while I was going into the hospital. And the test was in the well of the car. And he was like, okay, so like, what time do you have to be there? What's the plan now? And I just pointed at the test. He was like, he was, I remember he said, he said, I actually had a thought to myself this morning. I wonder if Nicola could be pregnant. (laughs) So it was, I remember ringing the, like the guy knee to say, actually we'll be coming today in an hour. Like, um, so yeah, so that was, it was, you know totally unexpected but we were on cloud nine like I was still on maternity leave and yeah Ted was about seven months and I did again did the panorama test again and all was well and I remember I really wanted to find out what we were having but James didn't so I was like okay grand and I rang him to say oh the panorama test came back and it's all good and he was like oh and did you find out what we're having I was like no you didn't want to and he said, well, um, do you want to ring and see, like, if the lab can tell us? And I was like, <laughs> you know. So I remember ringing them and being like, hi, like, um, and actually my husband's changed his mind. And I'm just wondering, do, you know. So she said, okay, the lab's in California. So um, I'll, be, I'll be back in touch with you tomorrow. But they will have it on file. Um, and we found out we were having a girl. And it was just like this amazing moment and we were in the car opened the email together and it was just tears of joy we're so so happy and I think I went back to work I think I was around 16 weeks pregnant going back to work and um I felt really well I didn't have any sickness and I hadn't really had sickness on Ted either a bit of nausea but like nothing to write home about um and yeah it was all going swimmingly um and uh, I, I was t- definitely like stressed with work, you know, starting back at work and Ted starting in crash and, you know, the tears every day was definitely hard. And James is away quite a bit, like uh, with work. So he might be gone. He could be gone like three nights a week. So I definitely found like getting home, getting Ted home from crash, bath to bed, like it was quite challenging. And, um, but we were going for our 20 scan and... I was actually 21 weeks, I was 20 and six days, I think. 
and we were going to Centre Park that afternoon or that evening and um, arrived for the scan and like, you know, naively didn't think that there'd be any chance that anything could be wrong. Um, and the first thing the sonographer said to me was, are you sure of your dates? And I said, yes. Um, and I, at this stage I'd had, gosh, probably four scans, maybe five scans, because I'd seen my obstetrician a few times and I'd had the panorama and I'd, yeah, so it definitely had four scans. Um, so we said, yes, definitely sure of the dates. And she said, oh, this baby's measuring quite small. Um, and she said the baby's measuring about 19 weeks and immediately like alarm bells were going off in my mind I kind of knew like that's too far gone behind but she said you know really strong heartbeat and um, I started to cry and I remember she said like you know I'm going to do the rest of the scan and then we're going to bring you to see the cons your consultant who I was going to see anyway um, and you know she was like so just kind of bear with me take a few deep breaths and so I did and um, the scan was actually quite nice we could see her yawning at one stage and um, but all the measurements were low like the you know it wasn't just her head or her stomach you know it was everything kind of combined and some measurements were as low as 18 and a bit weeks um, and I'd had a scan at 18 weeks and everything was good so um, and she measured bang on so um, she brought me down to see the consultant and as soon as we kind of walked in the mood was somber it wasn't and it you know it, it there, that level of reassurance wasn't there like you know I kind of expected him to be like, okay, there's a problem, but it's all going to be fine. Or, you know, but he wasn't really like that. And um, he scanned me again and um, he was look. he checked the blood flow to my uterus and he said that there was a bit of a blockage on one side, but not enough to, um, you know, to explain away why, why the baby was so small. And he, he kind of, quite plainly said, you know, um, one of two things are, is probably going to happen or, you know, the, he said the, the best case scenario is we get to like 35 weeks and we deliver her and she's very small, you know, less than five pounds or maybe around five pounds. I mean, that's the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is that she fails to thrive and she dies in utero. Um, and he says, I don't think either of those scenarios are going to happen. I think we're looking at something in the middle so he mentioned 28 weeks 29 weeks kind of 30 weeks and that you know that we would be delivering probably then um we were just like you know head in our hands we were crying we were you know we were so shocked and I remember it would I had only just started to feel her move and James actually was able to feel her. And I remember lying in bed one night and I was like, oh, she's kicking. And he was able to feel it. And I think it was only maybe 19 weeks at that stage. And it had been much later, you know, much later with Ted. And um, I just remember thinking, how can this be? You know, she's she's healthy, her heart's beating, like what's wrong? And um, things like IUGR were, were um, uh, said which is like intrauterine growth restriction I think it is and 
Um, but nothing was clear. An amniocentesis was talked about. But again, he said, given your clear panorama, I don't think that we should do that. And so the plan was that I would come back in 13 days. He said, there's really no point in me bringing you back in a week's time because there isn't enough of a trajectory of time to really see what the growth pattern is like. Um, so we went off and I remember like, we went to Centre Parks and that was like a holiday from my head really because um, I didn't really think about it so it just was we were straight into you know all of that and we were with my sister and her husband and their three children um, and then I remember it was on the way home that I just lost it like just absolutely broke down and um, I was just so terrified and frightened of what might happen and um, and everyone probably, people say, you know, the right thing and the wrong thing at the same time, you know, and everyone has a story about their friend Mary, who was, you know, went for her scan and she was measuring two weeks behind, but she'd ovulated later. And, you know, everyone has a story of success and survival in this situation. And I just didn't want to hear it because I, what people were missing was like, you didn't see the look on my obstetrician's face you know and it was really hard to describe that to people because words don't really explain that and it was only really when we kind of you know into family were saying no like he said that the best case scenario which I don't even think sounds very good isn't going to is probably unlikely um and the next two weeks were just hell like it was purgatory you know it was just so horrific and James was away quite a bit so I was on my own um at periods and I have this like very vivid memory of going for a walk um with my sister and it was the the Dublin Marathon was on so it was coming up to Ted's first birthday um and it was the end of October and uh, I remember watching marathon runners with my sister and I said um I think she's dead and she was like don't say that, Nicola, don't say that. She's fine. Everything's going to be fine. You know, think positively. And I I just knew, like, you know, I knew, but I also, I didn't want to go into the hospital um, because I was terrified. So, and I think that would say that was a Monday and my appointment to see, to have another scan was on the, I think it was on the Wednesday and Ted's birthday, Ted's first birthday was the Thursday. Um, and... Uh, or sorry, I was, I was due to see, um, go back for my scan actually on Ted's birthday, on the 31st of October. And on the 30th of October, I um, rang James that morning and I said, I feel like my blood pressure is high and I've taken it and it's really high. And he was like, well, you have to go into the hospital. Like, there's just no two ways about it. So I dropped Ted off a crash and I went in and... Um, there was no wait um, you know there was no one in the waiting room and I went straight in so I never really got a chance to like tell James so oh, I'm here now or anything and uh, anyway straight in and I remember the um, the sonographer came to to scan me she was kind of a bit short with me and she was like why are you checking your blood pressure at home and I was like well actually I didn't feel well and I'd been awake from about three o'clock in the morning and I remember having pains like in my neck 
and um I said and I haven't felt the baby move and she's like well like you're only at this stage I was 22 and five or something she said, well you know you're still early and anyway so she started to scan me quite quickly they took my blood pressure and it was really high and um as she started to scan me and her face just fell I said um she said sorry how far along do you say you were and I said well I'm I'm 22 and five but and I was trying to explain what had happened at my 21 week scan but I I just sort of stopped and I just said she's dead isn't she and she just said yeah and I was just mm. fell to pieces I was on my own and it was it was yeah I just I remember trying to kind of get up off the bed and like wipe the jello off and just I wanted to sort of you know kind of gather myself and um immediately obviously she softened and she turned out to be very nice but um yeah it was it was shocking and it wasn't you know um it was I was surprised and yet I wasn't um and they ran James um I didn't ring him they ran him he was in Heathrow airport on his way to a meeting um and you know he was just completely floored thankfully my sister was working like really close by so she came down to the hospital to see me and I remember one of the first things when my consultant came to see me in a and and he said like you know yes the baby is gone but you need to calm down because your blood pressure is very very high and we need to you know we need to make sure that you're okay so they I think I was being admitted, I think, then. It's all quite hazy, you know. Um, I was being admitted and they, for my blood pressure. Um, and I'm, But I remember thinking I was going to have the baby then. And, you know, I was like, I, I thought I was having a section. I don't know why. I was just I, a repeat section. I was just so confused. And I was like, James isn't here yet. And they were like, no, 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 no just manage your blood pressure and we'll explain what will happen so it was very um god everyone was so good like I don't know how they do that job you know it's it must be it must be so so difficult but um the I remember the when James arrived and he arrived arrived around lunchtime um and when he opened the door I went up to like unit three to a private room and my, at this stage they had given me medication my blood pressure had come down and they were kind of I kind of got the feeling that I might be able to go home which I was delighted about because it was Ted's birthday the next day um, um anyway when James opened the door I remember seeing this sign which is you know the I think it's an I think it's an universal end of life sign or something um and um I my blood ran cold like because exactly a year before like or you know a year and a day before I had been like pacing those corridors trying to get myself into labor and I remember seeing that sign on a door and knowing what it was and realizing that somebody was in there delivering a, a stillborn baby or you know and, and thinking oh my god like the how horrific and exactly a year later and it was me in that room with that sign on the door and I just couldn't believe it um and it was yeah 
so that night they did come and um they they said to me that I could go home and I was so relieved to just be going home to my own bed and it was late and they gave me a sleeping tablet to take home and to take that night and the plan was that I would come back on the Friday morning um early but that I should ring and get a time um and so yeah so the next day Ted's birthday James had bought him a like a sippy cup from the pharmacy as his birthday present <laughs> because we were just like just hadn't you know hadn't prepared anything yeah. um and a girl's birthday card I remember just being like oh my god but sure he was on the wiser um and it was such a it was a really weird day because I was just so comforted by Ted and all the hugs and kisses with him and um and then on the other hand I was just so devastated um and yeah it was a really mixed emotions day and having to like say the words out loud to people on the phone or you know it was just so so hard and um but I don't know where we both of us found the strength but we got through that day and went in on the Friday morning and um, it's like, you know, again, you have that like flashcard, that same symbol on it that you, you know, it's, you basically like say nothing to nobody and you just flash this card and you're sort of ushered up corridors and um, not in a hush hush kind of way, but in a um, protective and uh, that was brilliant actually. And um, it's a really it's actually quite a clever system um, yeah yeah and so we're brought straight into a room and it felt like there was a queue of people outside to talk to me you know it was like do you want to see the chaplain the bereavement midwives here the bereavement counsellors here the um the doctor the midwife who'd be looking after you all of this sort of stuff and because I had responded so poorly to the induction with Ted there was concern that this could take a while so I remember when um see me and he said, look, you know, we could we could be we, we'll probably get this 24 hours. And if you haven't gone into labor, we need to take a break for 48 hours and then we try again. And I was like, oh, please, God, please don't do that to me. Like just whatever happens, please let me just deliver this child. And, you know, um, we I felt like we had loads of decisions to make it was you know do you want to bury the cremated do you want to serve her do you not do you want to see her do you want to hold her do you have some an outfit for her do you want us to provide an outfit there was just so much information overload and it was it was really overwhelming but necessary you know um and it was so it was very hard to find the balance and I didn't I didn't really know what we wanted or we hadn't really had that chance to discuss it you know but um I knew what I I suppose maybe what I didn't want I did want to see her I did want to hold her um weirdly I and I, maybe it isn't weird but for me it felt weird I remember them saying to me do you want to do skin to skin and I was like no you know I was my biggest fear was what will she look like you know will it hurt and what will she look like 
and um, so we got started with like um, I think a pessary or I remember taking a tablet well sorry I should have said when I was in A&E the day the two days previous um, when they first told me they gave me a medication that um, stops the hormones that are supporting the pregnancy um, and I was told that I might have some cramping or bleeding and I didn't um, so when I when I went into the hospital on the Friday they just inserted a pessary and I took a tablet and I had some pains but nothing significant so they they did it again and um, then things started to ramp up and I remember um, uh, I was contracting and um, I was in a private room kind of at the end of unit three and so the midwife was in and out to me and she was like just the nicest person she was so so lovely she kept kept me so calm and um you know in moments where I'd like lose myself and grief you know she kind of brought me back to like okay we have a job to do you know and I really focused on that mm. um and then I remember I started to vomit and as I got sick I felt like a gush and um uh like I passed something and I said to James oh my god she's here I've delivered her and she's like she's here get the midwife and the midwife came and um she looked and she was like no it's um it's class and I was like oh, okay I'm just like mm-hmm. kind of relieved you know oh god a bit more time to process this and um uh yeah contractions kind of you know they ramped up pretty quick it was around maybe six or seven at the stage and um uh I remember just vomiting quite a bit and then I started to pass quite a lot of blood um and clots and I kept saying she's coming she's coming she's coming and then it would just be a clot but I was so, so terrified to look that I wouldn't even look down onto the ground and but I do remember a lot of cleanup going on because I was getting sick and I was bleeding and um, and I was in an awful lot of pain. I remember then I got some pethidine and that made me even more sick. Um, so it was very, it was very full on for those few hours. I remember I got into the shower then at one stage and I think I was in the shower for about an hour and um, passing just loads and loads of blood and just a lot of clots and um, the midwife came in and like the senior midwife came in and she said, you're going to have to go out of the shower because we need to start weighing the clocks. So I was like, okay, um, got out. And I remember coming back in from the bathroom into the room and it looked like a murder scene. I remember thinking, is that all for me? Like, has, you know, I had no real concept of it at the time. And anyway, um, I was lying on the bed and there was yeah there was quite a lot of uh more bleeding and they they were weighing they were taking things away to be weighed and um eventually the ward manager came and she said look we're gonna have to go to um to delivery and I had sort of been told all along you will probably deliver in unit three you know um unless 
you're in extreme pain or, you know, like there'd be no reason to have an epidural or to go or to need to go to delivery. So the midwife manager came in and she was like, look, you know, you need one-to-one care and we can't do that in this ward and you're losing blood and um, I think you would, you know, we need to give you an epidural and I think give me um, a, a drip in my arm to increase the contractions and basically like move this along quickly because I think from their perspective, if they deliver the baby and the placenta, the bleeding stops and, you know, um, problem solved. So um, I remember being in the wheelchair again and sort of catching sight of the room and just thinking, Jesus Christ, like, um, but I was happy with the the option I think of going down to delivery um, and there I had like gas and air and um, the anaesthetist came and gave me my epidural and um, I remember like sort of I didn't really want the epidural but I knew that it was kind of I didn't I also didn't want to be in any excessive amount of pain or more than I needed to be um, and I was sort of out of my hands at the stage like I wasn't really asked would you like an epidural it was like we're gonna get you one um, so I think that was around <clears throat> I think it was around midnight and um, they put down a, a mattress on the floor for James and he lay down and the midwife was like I'm just gonna go out and she's on a break and I'll be back in 10 minutes and sort of no sooner had she left and I closed my eyes and James had closed his eyes and I felt what I was you know positive was the baby and I felt like two kind of large objects and I was like okay that's the baby in the placenta but I was too afraid to look so um and none you know so I remember waking James and just being like get the midwife like she's here and um she he was like you know, flustered, running out the corridor, you know, that sign following us wherever we go. And um, the midwife midwife and the doctor came in and I remember the doctor was sort of not very warm or something. And um, she came in and I'd I'd seen a few doctors, but this particular doctor was just not particularly nice. And um, my own consultant obviously had gone home. And anyway, there was this sort of look between them of kind of alarm mild alarm but they both said okay no it's not the baby um but yeah it's 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 a kind of a big clot and they brought it over and they weighed it and then it was like okay we need to get this show on the road so they said we're gonna have to push and um so I was pushing for about 30 minutes and she was delivered and what no one prepares you for and everyone tells you about is the silence and um, you know it's like it was just the midwives talking myself and James sobbing and um, I had said that I wanted them to take her away and um, clean her before I saw her I just I needed to sort of take a breather and um so they they brought her off and I remember being struck by how kind they were to her like and how they spoke to her like she was a living baby you know and they were oh my god you're gorgeous and 
um, you know, your mommy is looking forward to seeing you. And, you know, they just spoke to her so softly and lovely. And it was just, it was so, it was even more heartbreaking because she wasn't alive, you know. Um, when we saw her for the first time, it was, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be. And it, it wasn't awful. She was beautiful. It, you know, it was so painful, but it wasn't scary. And um, no one had, could have convinced me that that would be the case. You know, I was just convinced it was going to be awful, but it, it wasn't. It was like we took photos and I remember taking a photo of myself, you know, kind of a selfie of me holding her and James beside me and, we were both smiling. I look back in that photo and like we have tears streaming down our faces, but we're smiling because she's our baby, you know, and she was here and it was like, it's how you should react or something. Um, and, um, but yeah, we had probably, I'm sorry, her name was Anna. Um, and we had probably about 40, 45 minutes with her and, um, I remember just, yeah, we sang to her, we cried, we laughed, we, you know, we were just, we kissed each other, we kissed her, you know, it was kind of investigated her and we looked at her little feet and her toenails and her eyelashes and it was just so, so incredibly sad. Um, and then... Then I remember they were kind of like, okay, we need to deliver the placenta. So they said, you know, do you mind if we take Anna from you and we'll just put her over here in the Moses basket and um, they gave me the injection. And uh, there was kind of quite a lot of pressing on my stomach. And I remember feeling, I remember hearing like sort of, sort of some splashing and feeling like there was a tap on. And um, then I was pushing to deliver the placenta. And I didn't really know that that was, I didn't know, should I be doing this? or washer and um, all of a sudden it became quite angsty and um I remember the doctor who I didn't really kind of like was like looking me dead in the eyes she was like I need you to push and deliver this placenta quickly um and I started to vomit and I passed out and it was obviously my blood pressure had dropped um and next thing it was like I came to and I remember James and the doctor looking at me being like, you know, are you okay? And um, next thing it was like, press the red button. And there was, I couldn't even tell you how many people were in the room, but a lot. Um, and it was panic stations and people talking to each other, nobody talking to me, people just running, you know, that people were panicked but it was just I remember just James sort of being shoved into the corner and um quite quickly they said we're going to theatre and um doctor was coming in and I was like what how is this happening to me once again, I will be sharing part two of Nicola's story in next week's episode. And I will, as I said, I will pop her Instagram handle in the show notes so you can reach out to her um, if you have had a similar experience and you just want to chat to someone else who has. So I'll chat to you next week. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.